All right, welcome back to the Final Millennials Podcast. We know it's been a while, but uh, today's topic has us all excited, and we have our very first guest on the show. Our topic for today is the death of the patriarchy, or more commonly known as feminism. Um, I'm going to pass off to Moses to introduce our very special guest. Yeah, so today we have on Sienna Cooper. She is um, at our age. Actually, she's a year younger than all of us. She's 22, not quite, not quite 23, but um, I met Sienna about two years ago. We worked at the same pharmacy, and yeah, ever ever since then we've been we've been great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Sienna, much like me, shares the same uh, passion for healthcare. She actually, I'm gonna brag about you for a second. She actually applied to pharmacy school, like me. She got in. But then she actually denied the offer because she decided that pharmacy wasn't for her. And now her current ambitions um, are medical school. So right now she's in the process of looking and applying to different schools. And I know she'll be successful in whatever she does. But a very, um, from what I, from what I've known of her, she's a very, a very strong, strong-minded individual. So I look forward to having her on. Thank you for joining us, Sienna. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, Sienna. So we'll start off with, uh, I guess, what your idea of the current um, state of feminism and what it means to you, and and I guess I'll just leave it at that. What's, yeah, well, what's your current? Thoughts? Well, be- before we go, I mean, let's try not having this like interview style. Let's let's just keep it flowing, conversation wise. I think that'll be mm-hmm. best for all parties. But yeah, let's go ahead. I agree. Um. I think that a lot of people misunderstand feminism as man-hating or, you know, like against men or that men are the problem in society. And I feel that that's not at all what feminism is about. Feminism is about um, imploring equality. And there are many different kinds of feminism. Um, the two main types are liberal feminism and radical feminism, where liberal feminism believes that um, the inequalities in society are going to be solved by changing the way that um, behaviors are taught, like in the conventional home life. Um, That's sort of where the focus is. Um, And that changing the way that children are socialized is the the most efficient way to to solve social inequality do you know like Um, a way like that i mean people are teaching their daughters yeah like how they're raising yeah differently yeah teaching their daughters you know that they can play with whatever toys they want you know like whatever it is they're interested in you know because like dolls don't do things you know they're just kind of dolls but like little boys play with trucks that move and they roll and they do things you know and they get more involved in this um, um we've building we've, yeah we've we've placed genders on everything even right. like the colors yes. blue and pink. I, like, yeah like, it's like, so funny because it used to be the case used to be that like pink was actually you know in like the 1800s pink was like a little boy's color um so like it's just changed sociologically um but then radical feminism is more what a lot of people think of feminism you know like like uh the the whole purpose of feminism was so that men could control women's sexuality and um, you know, like it's a whole power surge thing. And, um, that's, there's a, like two different kind of perspectives of feminism that I know of personally. 
Well, that's more than I know already. So <laughs> all right, and that does it for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you know everybody kind of knows about the Me Too movement and how it's kind of escalated in the last three or so years. So I want to get like everybody's thoughts on like what their perspective has been through the Me Too movement, what you thought about it in the beginning, what you think about it now, what you know about it now. Um, so like Justin, you know, what what was your perspective perspective when it first came out that like the Harvey Weinstein's and the Bill Cosby's are like mm-hmm. under all these accusations? Because to me personally, like at first, you know, there are so many people that came out for both of those two men that I just named that you couldn't really deny it. But like now, you know, you'll see somebody that they get accused and it ruins their whole life. And then it cut, you know, they go to court and it finds out that the guy is really telling the truth and the women just kind of falsely accused Mm -hmm. the man, but his life is still ruined. Like you can never really get your name out of that mud hole. And so I think it's still a good thing, but it's a rocky road because we've kind of, I don't want it to come off the wrong way, but like the women are, women are empowered. You know, they think they have the power, but I don't want to get down a rabbit hole and say something I, you know, that's construed the wrong way, but there are women that know that this power is in their hands and use it for the wrong way. And I just, I hate to see that. And I hate to see, you know, people being brought down wrongfully, but I'm glad that the movement is here and that it has, changed people's lives all right so so off of that i think the main thing that the me too movement has brought is just dialogue right that um it's provided this this platform for women to actually express for the first time in history um all of the wrongdoings that men have been doing for thousands of years and um and within any major movement you're going to have really some polarization with that and i think that's what some people really uh latch upon is that well, not everybody's guilty, but let's let's look at this. The majority of men are going to be guilty. Yeah, and um, I think I think that's the the powerful thing is that we we haven't talked about this. This isn't discussed within um, our our childhoods and stuff. Just how to act appropriately and get mm-hmm. proper consent and stuff like that. Yeah. This is this is a um, a novel idea, and I think this is what the Me Too movement has provided is this platform to have these conversations, to start understanding and flushing this stuff out to where everybody can understand and then not have these, you know, polarizing concepts of, well, everybody's guilty. Well, everybody's not. Yeah. It's, it's just having an honest discussion of what is going on. I totally agree. And like, I know that I've most definitely said things to women that like I regret personally, and I'm sure they took offense at, um, and I didn't really think about it until this movement started. And so that's kind of changed my way of, you know, interacting with everybody, but especially women and making sure I don't, you know, say something to, you know, go onto their turf and, you know, offend them. It's kind of just like a new, um, it's just like new territory because like our parents didn't, they didn't really know how to teach us this stuff because they didn't really, their parents didn't talk about it and their generation didn't, really talk about it. I mean, my aunt um, did her PhD in the 90s and she did her dissertation actually on sexual harassment in the workplace. And it was like, it was like, it was like bra burning. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not something that people talk about. But now 
it's something that we talk about. And so it's going to be messy, right? Like right. it's just in just the nature of the beast. It's going to be messy. Like people are going to get offended and you know, it is just like murder. Like people get wrongfully accused of murder. People get executed because they were wrongfully accused of murder. It's just another, it's just kind of a new thing to be, to yeah. be wary of just, you know, just a new crime that hasn't really been talked about a lot. And I think also, um, so with, with Hispanic culture, there's, um, and I'll, we've made, when I say we, I'm speaking for my people. I don't, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but, um, I guess in, in English it's called, it's called chauvinism, like the idea of male pride, but in, in, for us, it's called machismo, which is basically the idea of, of men and like having pride. So it's kind of like, you know, the opposite of, but it's, it's interesting because, um, from a lot of it, like I know, and I know at least from my great grandparents, um, it was a very like real thing. Like the whole idea that women belonged mm -hmm. at, at the house, at the home, the idea of women like going out and seeking jobs was just like, foreign like why why would you go and try to seek a job when you can stay at home and care for the family and the husband can go and bring the money so i think it's also interesting just coming from my perspective like i mean i've never been one to have those thoughts i mean like growing up my parents luckily i mean in my in my household my that was never a thing my parents didn't follow that trend because they saw how silly it was and how but um but just like from my culture and like from reading about what it was like for my heritage and from where I come from and seeing how my grandparents who did grow up in a time like that, cause that was their parents and how they also, you know, broke away from that. Um, I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting living, living in where we live in now, where we, you know, think about mm -hmm. two, three, four generations ago where this was a very strong belief. And then fast forward to where we are now kind of at a time where we're seeing this, this sprouting, like this new idea and how we're like kind of in the middle of it, right? Like kind of in the middle of this big movement. So I think, you know, leading back to what the whole idea of this podcast is, being the final millennials, us getting to see this new age, I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it will, it's going to take generations for it to right. take a full force effect. And in the end, you're still going to have people that, you know, have the same thoughts that they have today. Like oh, you're yeah. never going to change 100% of the population. Um you should strive for that, though. Right. For that, sure. Like, you I mean, should strive 100%. If you get 90, then, right. you know, maybe that's success. Like, you're never going to change everybody's beliefs. You're just mm -hmm. never going to do it. Mm -hmm. You're never going to end racism fully. Mm -hmm. Like, well, hate to say, like, you're not. Like, that's right. a totally different subject for a totally different day. But, like, that's kind of the same thing that we're trying to do. Like, racism has slowly withered away mm -hmm. for the last century and a half. And, and it's it, still, I mean, it's kind of perked up a little bit. Yeah, it came back. It, it's kind of, it's, Wonder why. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's kind of the same thing, you know. It's very similar in its it in its generational evolution. And so like, you know, Moses talked about like his household as a child and like growing up and how he was never really pressed on gender, you know, norms and yeah. things like that. And I never was either, but like I saw my dad worked and my mom stayed at home. And as a kid, I was like, oh, my mom just stayed at home. She doesn't do anything. But as I grew up and I became more involved in, you know, our family's farm and everything like that, like I learned that my mom does a lot more than I ever realized. You know, like she's 
an equal part in what my family has built as a company and a business. And so just because you're a stay at home mom, that doesn't mean like you gave up everything. Like my mom was in the process of going to um, school to be an educator and got pregnant and broke her pelvis. And so like she dropped out of that, but like being a stay at home mom, like that fit her better. Like that's what she had Mm -hmm. to do at the time. And it evolved into, you know, being doing what she does now and helping out the farm. And so just because you don't have a quote unquote job Mm -hmm. as a woman doesn't mean that, you know, you've given up everything for the man, you know, and given the man the power, like she, she doesn't, she speaks her mind. She has an equal part in the Mm -hmm. household. And so I think that's another aspect of that. And that's my aspect of what I've grown up with as, as the gender roles in my household. I think the the gender roles in my household were kind of unusual because um, my mom was the breadwinner and my dad was already retired when I was born. And so he was my Mr. Mom. Um, but Which that alone, like that cracks me up that phrase, Mr. Mom, because that's like. Right. Because it should just be. It is so like, misogynistic. The fact that mom. Right. Should be yeah. female. Right. Um, but it's it's. It's interesting that we have to say like, oh, just because you're a stay at home mom doesn't mean there's, you know, doesn't mean you're any less human or you're any less useful Um, because whoever wants to stay at home should be able to stay at home, right? Like dad should be able to stay at home and nobody should say, well, what are you doing? You know, because like it's easier for moms to stay at home um, because that's kind of a gender rule still is that it's more acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I remember when I was growing up, I got picked on a lot because they were like, well, you have a deadbeat dad. And I was like, not exactly. Um, he's just kind of doing the same thing that all your stay at home moms are doing. Yeah. It's just not as acceptable. But it took me until I was in high school to really come to terms with that, that like he had been for me um, more of just kind of what the mom rule is. It's just so genderized um, that it's so much more acceptable for the mom to do that. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's another thing that is becoming, you know, with like paternity leave is kind of coming into play and like more equal parenting um, is becoming more like not only just like acceptable, but like it's kind of assumed that like more like both parents are more involved than they used to be. So like it's just a whole nother like piece of like gender that's gender roles that are changing. I definitely think it's a kind of a policy debate. a political debate, but like there does need to be more maternal paid leave mm-hmm. because the mother's role in early childhood is so crucial. In that first six to 12 months, like she needs to be there, you know, like whether she's breastfeeding or not, like it is crucial for that baby to have that mother there. So like, I don't know what the, the average of the normal maternal leave is. I'm pretty sure it's like eight weeks, maybe six to eight weeks, somewhere in there. I don't know. Does anybody know? I think normally it's a little bit longer than that nowadays, but it used to be definitely shorter than that. And I know that a lot of companies are starting to offer paternal leave so that both parents can be there and help out. Um, But I just think that it is very crucial for that mother to be there because, you know, she does have things to offer to that baby that the dad can't. Quick uh, fact check. Average maternity leave in the USA prescribes 12 weeks of unpaid leave for new parents but the average maternity leave ends up being shorter, and approximately 70% of women report taking off, so the average lasts about 10 weeks. Well, that's key. You said unpaid. 
Yeah, they can't afford to stay exactly. out of work. Right. And also, like, a lot of women fear that if they take that full 12 weeks, they're going right, to come back and their job description is going to be, you know, they're going to. Well, that used to be the thing. Their role is going to be. Right. Does that just include the U.S.? Because I know other European countries are a lot more progressive with with their um, maternity and paternity leave. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure, like 95% sure, that at least one country in in Europe has six-month paid maternity leave. Wow. I'll look that up. Stand by for confirmation. But I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think that's impressive. I think that's what we should definitely strive for as a society, right? Um, that's something that, uh, like we said, is vitally important for childhood development. And I think it's more, probably more important for actually for, for the parents' um, perspective on, on things. They feel a lot more um, able to cope with, with their children if they have a longer duration. And not only that, but I mean, think about, yeah, I mean, think about all the health implications, right? Um, I've actually been taught that, and this is, this is, when I heard this, I was like, that's insane. But I actually, I was taught in school that about 20% of parents who just have their child, about 20% of them feel no real attachment to their, to their child within the first like couple hours of having that child. So think about that. Like for a lot of people, it takes them days, weeks, sometimes months to feel that attachment. But can you imagine, like, if within the first, within the first couple hours, you don't feel that, right? I mean, yeah. I remember when my little brother was born. You know, he's not my kid, but he's he's might as well be. I love that kid. But I remember, like, when I first saw him at the hospital, I was in love with him. I was like, this, you know, he's like my he's like my mini me. This kid's awesome. And watching him grow up, you know, I love the kid. But I imagine being a parent, and you have this child who is literally. A, a piece of you like yeah. they're built just like you 50% of you and you don't feel that attachment and then imagine if you don't feel that and then you go off to work and where do you get to You're spend time bodying right and then so I mean I feel like it's more for like first childs too you know like when you have your first child you're like oh my god like yeah how it, am I gonna feel when this yeah, happens it can it like, can I mean I luckily I, I mean not luckily but I, I have a way to go before I have my own children because I still have to, <laughs> I still to get to school. But I hope I hope that I get this instant bond and love for my child. But you, like I just said, you never know. You can't predict predict those things. So, and I think it's crucial to be able to have that time where you spend with your child to to bond with them and 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 love them because I, I mean ultimately we're the ones that have to bring these kids up. And so it's crazy to, to think that there are countries that advocate for this long period of time where you get paid leave from work to be able to, to nurture, nurture this maturation process. But thinking back to what you were just talked about here at the States where the average is 10 weeks. I mean, maybe right. Yeah. So, so a quick stat update for the people out there, <laughs> the EU regulates that both parents are entitled to at least four months of leave each. And they can't transfer that leave to the other parents. You know, the father mm-hmm. or it's mother the- couldn't transfer the other four months, right. whatever. But some countries do allow you to transfer a month or two. But so that's your stat update. All European update or all European countries have four months of leave for each parent. That's insane. So that's kind of crazy when you think about it to take off a third of the year 
for both parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for that fact check, by the way. Hey, no that problem. It's just vitally important. Hey, it's all for the listeners. It's all for the. It's all for the experience of the final millennial podcast. That's that's what I'm here for. Google. I think we can let's Sponsor go ahead and pivot. <laughs> let's go ahead and pivot and talk about um, equal equal pay within workforce because I think that's something that definitely gets brought up within um, talking about gender uh, within today's equal. context. I think. Uh, so that's something that we're definitely striving for as a society right now is to have equal pay, which is just dumbfounds me that that is still a, uh, something that we should even be discussing, right? The, mm-hmm. That women and men that are performing the exact same job are not paid the same. I mean, it's there are, there are definitely different theories on that. I think one of them is that um, historically employers have been able to assume that the woman is not the the breadwinner of her household. And so she's working because she wants some extra income or she is bored or something like that, you know? And so like, especially I know in, in nursing, it's very well studied that like, it doesn't matter what you pay nurses. Nurses will quit if they don't enjoy where it is that they're working. You can't buy nurses because oftentimes nurses aren't their own breadwinners for whatever reason. And so it's not, uh, payment is not actually their motivation. They do what they do because they love what they do. And if they don't like it, then they go somewhere else. Um, So like there are arguments for that. I think another argument is that women don't um, tend to be as forthcoming about wanting to be paid more. Um, They don't, they don't complain. They don't want, they don't feel empowered to approach, to, to approach their employer and say like, I'm not being compensated fairly. But doesn't that then kind of prove this point that we have this patriarchy then that is kind of being overwatching, uh, kind of burden or pressure within women. It's a whole, it, that's also, it goes back to, you know, socialization that women are socialized to be more passive and, less, you know, combative and, um, that those are valued traits of women. And so they're also, um, unfortunately traits that prevent women from, um, being forthcoming about their problems, um, especially in a place where they feel like they could be chastised or, you know, they could be treated poorly in the future because they voiced, some opinion of theirs. Like, you know, some people will say like, well, one man can do something and it's powerful. And then when a woman does it, it's bitchy, you know, like that's That's a, that's a big thing. Um, even though it's the same action. But I I read this article, wouldn't study, I guess. But so this, this, uh, woman applied for a job and it was like a management program for what, from what I can tell and understand. And there's, you know, obviously men that were hired on and, the starting male averaged ten thousand dollars more than her starting salary because they asked for it. Yeah, and she didn't. You know, she didn't because she was just kind of happy to take the job, get the job, and so yeah, that's a part of like socializing women and today to to kind of empower them and be like, you know, you're you're you have the same rights as these guys. Like you can ask for more, and but I do. It is the patriarchy of you know these older men in these in the hiring positions to. You know, because I know some of them would be like, "Well, oh, this this 
girl's asking for way too much, but this guy's, oh, he's a great negotiator. Doesn't that go back to your, your thing earlier, though, that you're almost empowering women too much? Isn't that what you were saying, that the, the, the that more – That how I came off, but that's not okay, what okay, I meant. Okay, okay, gotcha. That's not, that's not <laughs> what I meant. I just meant that there are bad apples out there earlier that gotcha. are taking this power that women have earned and gotten too far and wrongfully accusing people. That's not. I didn't mean for it to be that. You know, we gave women too much power. Yeah. I okay. I, I hope nobody takes that away. I don't <laughs> want to come off that way. But that's not what I meant. No. Um, another stat update. Damon the stat boy over here. Um, in Indiana, women earn seventy-three cents on the dollar to every male. That's impressive. The national average is eighty cents. So wow. women in Indiana are paid on average less paid less than the average, than the average woman. I well, mean, this is a very conservative state. Living in India, I was going to say, I can't yeah. say I'm, I can't say I'm surprised no, living in this bad. state, but also ten percent of women aged eighteen to sixty-four are uninsured. Huh? That's not that's not a great stat. No, I'm just you know throwing stats out here. Anybody can take it. You know, waiting for one to stick on the wall. Yeah, who knows? But uh, but no, I don't want to come off that way. Just mm-hmm. don't paint me as a bad guy. I'm not. I, I mean, I, I, would, I think. Yeah, I think. I think you're. Why the argument makes sense. Like there no. are those bad people out there that are like taking this Me Too movement and going too far. I don't want to take us off the topic that we we're on. But. No, I mean I I think that's I think what you're talking about comes with comes with anything. Like any yeah. any any new thing that we have in society, whether it's a movement that's trying to promote equal rights or whether it's I mean, yeah, there's always gonna be people who construe things in a negative way yeah. and they try to they try to go against the grain for some reason and and whatever that reason is it's it's completely against what you know we're we're arguing for and fighting for it's just like you said it's just a bad apple and i i mean i think but i think it is important to acknowledge that because think about the people who you know for some reason i get tied back into politics for some reason but think about like Think about like the Immigration Act, right? Like there are people, the reason they're coming to this country is because they want, they want a new life. They want to run away from the horrors of war and, and, and wherever they're coming from. They want to seek refuge and they want to seek safety in this, in this great country. That's, that's what the American, like, you know, they want to, they want something better for their family. But obviously you get someone as powerful as a president who can say a few negative things about those maybe very very few individuals who come from other countries and do do want you know maybe someone does come from mexico maybe mm-hmm. he does kill someone i don't know you know but like maybe yeah. someone comes from another country and they do hurt an individual and if donald trump can find those individuals and 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 exploit them that doesn't speak for the majority of the people who are trying to seek refuge well, it's the same thing with the women and then the even it, yeah even tie that back to to our topic today uh we have footage of the president saying grab her by the pussy and somehow he still gets elected a couple weeks later like these are powerful individuals that are making these choices and they're saying these things and people want to just write off as their own personal beliefs but these have major implications within our society if if the president can say it then we'll what can i do why can't i say it yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that uh really just reinforces kind of this patriarchy theme that um that men have all of the power, which is not the, not the case, obviously. And that's shifting within today's society. I guess my greater point is that, yeah, there are these bad, ba- bad apples. I just wanted to highlight it because the Me Too movement has been one of the biggest movements for women's rights since 
women's suffrage. Um, I just, I know, like, I get what you're talking about, about, like, how some, like, some people have taken advantage of it, but, like, you can't really pick a needle out of the haystack when, like, the whole haystack is on fire, you know, like, you, like, the whole, like, the thing is coming, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. whether or not Trump is sexist or, like, whoever is sexist, it's just, like, racism, like, it's, you know, like the, the revolution is on. It's like, you're not, no one is gonna, you know, people are like, oh, Trump has been this huge, like problem for like racism and feminism. And like, because he's so, he's so backwards thinking and it's like, well, but <laughs> it doesn't like, it's not like stopping the train from going. He's just slowed. I think almost, that he's slowed progression a little bit, but it's not like it's been detrimental. You could almost say like, he's kind of fired up Right. That base even, even so, more, like yeah. Push farther. And you could make that more. argument. I think you could say that. I He's mean, infuriated some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah that's an but also, like watching other first world countries do it so much better, and we're still doing it so poorly. It's just like healthcare. You know, there are so many more forward thinking countries that do healthcare so much better, and it's like, well, we can we can see the divide a little bit better, and like that's that's something that fires people up. Well, I was gonna say like. Just coming from the perspective that like, if, if anyone searches social media and like what other countries and their leaders have to say about our country and our leaders, like, is that like, that's your president? Like he's saying these things and he actually leads his country. And, and I'm, 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 I'm uh, referencing things that he says about like, about some of these bigger topics, racism sexism some of these things that he says people are like wow well, I, I can't not even comprehend for our listeners we are going to have a political yes episode not to get too political but what we're i'm trying keep, to reference is that there are other here. countries who are very forward-thinking very progressive and they're making these great strides and then they just they just yeah. hear about what the president of the united states has to say about some of us and they're like is this a joke like they, yeah. they so I, I think what i'm trying to allude to is that you know, not just this this great country, but this world as a whole is making these strides, and I, I think I think we're on the right track. There are people who try to slow us, slow it down, but you can't, like and you just said, Sienna. I'm not trying to give like the United States like a, a get out of jail free card, and uh-huh. like you know, a lot of these smaller European countries have made great strides in, in healthcare, for example, like Sienna brought up. Yes, Sweden. And sometimes I wonder if it's easier for them because they have a smaller geography and a smaller population like the united states is 10 times the size of some of these countries like is it harder in that kind of setting to to mold minds and to to change the well i think that's a topic we should definitely hit another day that that, that goes way (laughs) that goes way off like it's Mm -hmm. harder to change 330 million people's minds well i mean not 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 that many but well it's not that but than it is, you know, 50 million or a hundred million. Like it's obviously mm-hmm. harder. That's twice, yeah. three times as many people. So I just didn't know what you guys thought, if that's a driving force behind kind of the United States slowing efforts on so many fronts and including feminism. I get what you're saying. I think the thing that slows us down a little bit more is um, how closely we cling to capitalist sociology. Whereas more European countries are are a little bit more uh, socialist. I mean, there's no such thing as like true capitalism or true socialism. Right. Everybody's mixed. Um, but in a society where socialist so socialism predominates a little bit more than than capitalism, um, money flows into community things a little bit easier. Um, 
that's just kind of how capitalism works. And it works really well f f in some things and it, in other things like, you know, reform, <laughs> it doesn't work yeah. very well. Um, but it's interesting. I just read something the other day about, um, you know, like how to help, how helping third world country economies and like what some of the turning points are in third world countries becoming more, I don't know, not more like, you know, just developing faster and, and what are the things that are really pivotal. And one of the really pivotal things is uh, educating women mm -hmm. and giving women power over their sexuality and who they marry and when, how many children they have and whether or not they have the ability to have protected sex and whether or not they have access to healthcare, especially like, you know, any kind of healthcare at all, not just um, healthcare during and after their pregnancy. Um, but it just shows how important education and, you know, power, especially in marital and childbearing um, endeavors are to the economy being really successful. Yeah. I don't I, think they've really explored that. I took a class <laughs> in, in college historically. Um, about like the African economy developing and like what the different factors have played into it. Mm -hmm. And there is no correlation between how many eight dollars are given to a country and how successful it is. There is, I think there's only one country in Africa that has actually like basically become self-sustainable since aid has become kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And there's no correlation between how much, you know, the United States or any other country gives that country that will ever make it sustainable itself. It's educating the public. It's educating people on how, you know, on what to do, on how things work, like. If you don't have an educated public, then so, nothing's going to work, whatever yeah. kind of economy you have. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting to bring up, right? Because people look to us as this powerhouse who has so much capabilities to help other countries, but there's only so much you can do when it comes to providing the funds, right? It, it, like what Sienna was saying, it's about empowering individuals and, and what you just said about empowering women about all these things i mean they make they make so much sense as you were saying these things i was nodding my head and i saw justin he's like like yeah it makes sense but maybe these these are things that aren't really thought about like how 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 powerful it can be to educate not just women but like a society as they're trying to self-sustain well and if you look at it like if education is a silver bowl which you know obviously is kind of a no-brainer yeah but especially in these kinds of issues mm -hmm and you look at how the United States has slipped in the world rankings of education, then it's not a no, you know, it's not an astonishing remark to say that, Hey, the U S is having some social problems on a variety of issues, whether it be racism or feminism or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So like, yeah, it obviously kind of makes sense that the we're having all these problems while our education standards or, you know, our education scores keep going down and down and down. But it all goes back to the capitalism that we cling so, so dearly to because states implement their own laws for the most part, especially on social affairs. And so a lot of the times um, in, in education and in a lot of um, reforms that have to do with gender, especially, you know, like non-binary treatment and, um, gay rights and stuff like that. Like, you know, um, states kind of get to implement a lot of their own stuff and that slows progression, but that's just how our government works. I don't know. I, I would kind of disagree with that, that like, I, like you could do it with, 
you know, gay rights or, you know, legalization of marijuana or any one of those kind of like niche social issues, it's like it, it never would have gotten traction at the federal level. And because state by state you've started to see change, it's become a national That's an topic. That's kind of how I look at it. Like, you know, Colorado started it, then Washington, and then, you know, state by state are starting to legalize marijuana. And now it's finally a real forceful debate at the national level. And same thing with gay rights. Like, state by state, you legalize, the, you know, your ability to get to be married as a gay couple, to get to get uh, benefits as a gay couple. And so what you're speaking to is the importance of starting small, like taking like yeah. starting somewhere. I mean, that's how our government's set up, like yeah. community then you know county and then state and then federal level and so like starting program it's proven that starting a program at a basic level seeing if it works and then building it up to scale is a better way of doing things than starting a federal program and trying to make it work at the local level like it's just it's very hard to build a federal program without having a local implementation yeah a local implementation already in place Right. And I wasn't saying that, like, that's a bad thing. No, I'm just saying that that's why, like, other countries whose federal governments have a lot more power, power can do that, yeah. especially on in smaller countries. Like, we have such a large, like you were saying earlier, such a large area that, like, one part of the country doesn't feel the same way as the other part, which yes. is why it's important. Um, but it's just, it's, a, it's just a much slower change. Right. I agree. And there are pockets, you know, you got the Californias and the New Yorks of the world and that are developing on their social issues much faster than... Any other state, I mean, California off being track. the granddaddy. <laughs> no, I mean we're still talking about them. Like California is like the granddaddy for basically every social issue. Like they're one of the first to to approach any topic. But I just I feel like that is the best way. I don't know what you can do at a local level to kind of promote feminism. Uh, at the home, I mean, any any yeah, any general activism in gen, uh, hmm. like. But how do you get a local? How do you get that conversation started? That's my point. with your with your kids or with your siblings and friends and stuff. Well, this right here, this is this is spurring discussion, and the people that are going to be listening to this is going to spur some discussion. And I think that's what we're trying to promote here is just these healthy uh, outlooks on mm. what feminism is, what feminism actually is, not what the the social media yeah, portrays. Yeah, social media portrays it as, or what uh, the news stations portray it as. This is like what is actually being implemented within our daily lives, how it affects us. And then from there, the people that are then educated on that can educate other people. And then that's how local things start becoming more and more national. I mean, I get that, but I think to have a more realistic approach, like it needs to start with our education system, which is a totally different topic. I get that. But, you know, if we're, if we're kind of showing these values to our kids from a very young age and, know reiterating it all through school then it starts a generational flow of okay when that generation is kids they will start having that conversation us right now recording this podcast putting it out in a couple days is not going to change anybody's mind probably and it's not going to start like this massive conversation i mean i I guess i I hope it changes some minds i'm just saying like that's not going to start this movement we're talking about sure like you have to start where on a on a kind of standard standardized level, and school is the starting mark. For that, I so I would say some movements definitely 
are more slow changing. But then look at look at what happened with the Me Too movement. Look how fast all of that dialogue started happening. Things can happen on a rapid scale. You just need people to continue to discuss them and continue to talk about them and then see how that affects their lives. So I think all of this is applicable uh, from both slow moving and fast moving moving movements. So well, we haven't really seen the implications, the long-term implications of this movement yet either, which is going to be an interesting thing. I know in countries that have a lot, like for, I, I think it was like Sweden, for example, has a lot more like equal pay and equal hiring and uh, equal education, like at the, at the secondary level. And um, they have a bigger problem with family coherence because of... Um, because the roles are not as solidified as they are in countries where gender roles are more important. So we just, I mean, I think that there are going to still be implications for, you know, like there's no movement that doesn't have like repercussions. There are going to be repercussions of this that we just haven't seen yet. And we will probably see in our lifetimes um, the, the repercussions of our children being educated this way um, that genders are, equal and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, I think it's been a great conversation. Does anybody else have anything to add before we wrap it up? Any closing it, remarks? No, uh, yeah, no general major things to discuss. I think we, we covered a lot of, a lot of things and I think people really need to, uh, again, like I've ended most podcasts, just go out, do your research, um, actually get informed on this topic uh, talk to people and just continue to discuss what this movement's about. And yeah. Okay. Well, I know we kind of bounced around sporadically throughout the episode. <laughs> we had a variety of topics that I'm sure we'll touch base more on at a later date. Um, but we thank our guest Sienna for giving us some insight. Um, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Later.